Yesterday is history. Tomorrow is a mystery, but today is a gift. It is not our abilities that show what we truly are. It is our choices. Hello and welcome to Jen Taylor Rerouting, where being rude is never acceptable, but sarcasm is welcome and swearing isn't always a bad option. Let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Jen Taylor Rerouting. Thanks for tuning in. If you need more information, just go to jentaylor.net, where I have everything at your disposal from what it's like to live as a mom to 13 kids to my podcast, public speaking, coaching, or purchasing my book. All in one place, jentaylor.net, easy peasy, lemon squeezy. Today, I have the pleasure of interviewing Brian Drury. Brian, how are you? I'm really excited to be talking with you today. I think you should be. <laughs> I don't know. I don't normally pat myself on the back, but I'm going to take it. But in this case, you'll take it. Mm-hmm. I, I will. There was one time, I think people need to understand patting themselves on the back, and it's not a bad thing. There was one time my uh, oldest daughter was like two, mm-hmm. and I got onto an airplane, and the stewardess said, oh, how cute. And I said, thanks. I did my hair different today. Do you really like it? <laughs> <laughs> you, you have to sneak them in sometimes. But it is important. It's something that people generally don't talk about. And I think I talk a lot about this with the people I'm coaching or just in general is that there's often the idea of when you celebrate something, people go, oh, you shouldn't be bragging. But then when you're down on yourself, they go, oh, don't be so hard on yourself. And then you're in this weird fucking middle ground where you can't be too happy or too sad about anything. and You don't feel like you can feel anything. So I would much rather, I want to be surrounded by people who are willing to say, like, I'm really proud of myself. I did great. It's not to say I'm the best in the world. It's not to say nobody can touch me. It's not about that. It's about the idea of I'm better than I was, or I did something different that I've never done. It doesn't need to be about this colossal, massive change in your, the Muhammad Ali of blank. It's just about enjoying it. And we shouldn't be afraid to celebrate something that my buddy Jason Goldberg says that. We, he wants people to brag more because he thinks that if people were willing to brag more, they'd be celebrating more and seeing more of the good in the life versus what's lacking. And I agree. And he's a mutual friend of ours. And I think that part is fantastic. Mm-hmm. So your website is called overcominggraduation.com. Tell me how that, how that started and what that is. Absolutely. So when I graduated school was back in 2012. So I'm currently 27. And when I graduated school back then, I had this idea that school was going to have prepared me for the real world that once I stepped out into and I don't even like the expression real world as if it's like not real when you're in college or when you're younger, but everyone gets what I'm talking about. It's that first step out into this place that's not the organized system of school and planned class schedules and planned and structured sports. It's now your time to own your future and what you're doing and the steps you're taking. So when I stepped out, I thought I was going to be prepared and very quickly realized that I had no idea that I had a very specific set of uh, basic general skills, which sounds like a contradiction in one area that I had studied and then everything else about life, just even the basics about how expensive it is to live on your, lo- your own, paying back the $80,000 in student loans that I'd racked up. How am I going to do these things? What's that going to look like? I'm moving to Wisconsin. So all these different questions came up. When people asked me, where would you want to live? Where would you want to be ideally? I said, big city on the coast, very multicultural and diverse, warm weather. And I ended up in Appleton, Wisconsin. So 
it was the right step at that time because I wanted a job that would enable me to use my foreign language skills. At that time, I spoke Spanish and have the opportunity for me to be traveling soon, maybe in that next role after that first role. But as I got out there, I realized that no one was going to, as my friend Brian Tier says, make my life awesome for me. So I had to start finding ways to do it. And overcoming graduation was an idea that just kind of popped into my head one day after I started diving into personal development and personal growth, because I was seeing, and we met at Sean Stevenson's conference, he was my first step into personal development and that was just kind of Pandora's box. From there, I went into all of these other TED Talks and Awesomeness Fest speeches. I started reading books on it. And I say that very lightly because back then I was barely reading, but I started reading books. And I realized that I could start taking action. I started applying the lessons I was learning and seeing massive changes in my life. So the circumstances weren't changing. The location wasn't changing. My job wasn't changing. It was me. And so all of a sudden, the same place and the same drive to work looked different. And that all led into me one day realizing that I really wanted to help young adults see that they have the capacity to shape their reality and shape their life. And the idea for overcoming graduation came back in like 2013. I didn't actually start the business until 2015. So it was one of those ideas like Inception that was planted and just grew over the years. And it was through a lot of the different personal development activities I got involved with, like running with My Team Triumph, which is a group that helps individuals with disabilities participate in endurance events, and then starting to write my first book, that I started to see that all these dreams that I had had and I'd been putting off and leaving on the back burner because it was for later or when I was older were things I could start right now and there was nothing stopping me but me. And so overcoming graduation has been and was the idea of Helping, learn, uh, helping young adults learn everything I wished I'd known to help them get to the next level in their own lives. And you wrote your book and you published your book and I bought and read your book. <laughs> it's called The First Step. It's available on Amazon. It's fiction. But mm -hmm. having said that, I think it's probably pretty much your experience. Somewhat. Yeah, a, a great majority of it comes based off my experiences running with my team Triumph. And it's a fictional story about a real organization. So when I wrote the book, um, I talked to my parents because I was like, all right, now I've gone through this personal development journey. I'm realizing that I can write this book, but now what am I going to write about? There's so many things I could write about literally anything. And my mom had this amazing way of delivering wonderful wisdom in these bite-sized little chunks. And she said, write what you know and write what you love. And I just started running with my team Triumph. It was one of the best things I'd ever done. And I said, I'm going to write about them. And so I wrote this story about a character named Will and his journey deciding to run his first race with my team Triumph and the lessons he learns along the way. And as I started writing the book, a part of me thought, okay, this is going to be the big first step in the business. Oh, I don't want, I like, how could I start making more money? Started to seep into my head when it started from this very pure place of, I want to share this message and share this story. And I talked again to my parents because there are a lot of my good touchstones in my life. And I said, what can I do about this? And my dad said, donate it. He goes, it doesn't have to be forever, but donate the money. You it'll take the money out of it and then you'll write for the sake of writing and for sharing a message, not for making money. And for anybody who's considering writing a book, the thing is most people don't make money off books. They make money off the back ends. And I know people who are international bestsellers that have crazy amounts of sales 
and they still don't make the money from the book. They make it from the back end. So I also tell people don't write a book to make money and don't write a book to have a book. Write a book because you have a message that's meaningful and something that you want to share with the world and something that is your unique voice that no one else can bring because there are too many people in the entrepreneurship world trying to check the box and, oh, well, I have to get a book and I have to get this type of talk and I have to have a website and I have to this. I know plenty of successful entrepreneurs that have no website, that don't have any of those things because they bring so much value, it can't be ignored. And my book was a pretty amazing journey for me too because it took over two and a half years to write. During that time, I faced the greatest challenge of my life. I had ups and downs in my training. Uh, there's some injury that he faces that I faced in real life. And um, it's a big amalgamation of what I was going through at that time, but also some of the most important lessons I needed to learn and I needed to hear. So as much as it was a way for me to share powerful lessons with people, it was also a reminder and a challenge to myself of the way I want to live my life. And all those lessons that I tied into the story are a reminder for me that this is the person I'm working to be. And if I'm challenging other people to do it, I need to step into that in order to really be able to help them do the same. Well, it was phenomenal. I love the book. Um, I was so happy. I just, I mean, I always actually love it when people say, I don't mean to offend you, but it was an easy read. <laughs> and that's not offensive. I don't want right. it to be a struggle to read my book. I want you to right. sit down and be like, holy crap, I did not stop reading so I was done with the book and it took me four hours. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That's great. Mm -hmm. But I think you're right about um, writing the book. First of all, 85% of people that want to write a book don't. And like you mm -hmm. said, it took you two and a half years. I don't know how many years I talked about doing it before I actually did it. Uh, and there's a good reason it's 85% don't. It's quite an undertaking. It's a great accomplishment. And you have to do it for the right reasons, I think. I didn't even know, you know, it's the best business card you could ever have and all the back. I didn't know any of that stuff when I went into it. And I'm glad because you're right, that shift in your thinking makes the book not the book that you wanted, you know? Right. So that's perfect. So tell me another thing. Oh, and before we go on there, because yes. the thing you said about it's a big undertaking, there's also a big misconception there as well is, mm -hmm. oh, it's going to take years to write a book. It doesn't necessarily. In fact, um, Alex Allman, who's a friend of mine, and he, he was on my podcast, he uh, is a sex expert, and he had one of his mentors say, Alex, you got to write a book, man. And he was like, oh, but I don't know. All of the typical excuses we have about, I don't have an editor, and I'm not a professional writer, and blah, blah, blah. It's just all the shit that all pops up in all of our heads. And his mentor said, you have one month to write this book, or I will never speak to you again. And that was it. It was a hard, fast consequence. And somehow when consequences and time limits are put on things, we find a way to get shit done. So for all the listeners too, that's an important lesson. If it's taking you way too long, shrink the time frame that you have to do it. And you'll be amazed how much more you'll get done when you set some guardrails and some barriers for yourself. Because one of my first coaches said, you know, discipline is great. Systems and structures are great. But if we rely on one versus the other, we're going to fail. We need to have both. And sometimes we need accountability. Sometimes we need someone to pull us forward. And sometimes we need the stick. Sometimes we need a consequence and some punishment for ourselves if we don't do it. Now, let me just clarify, not dangerous, not actually like uh, 
negatively impactful punishment, like you have to take an ice cold shower. And that's something that one of my coaches uses or an ice bath, or you have to do a hundred burpees or something. It's like consequences that are actually positive, but you may not want to do. And so Alex found a way to write that book in a month. And I uh, gave a speech at Penn State and I had a guy come up and talk to me and say, I want to write a book. And he was really nervous and he was like, he wanted to ask if I'd be willing to help or even take a look at his draft. And I already knew it before he asked because I could see the look in his eyes. And he said, would you be willing? I was like, yep. And I was like, send it to me. And I read the first few pages and I was like, dude, you you have to write this book. It's incredible. And I mean, incredible, right? And the guy's phenomenal. The story, I was like, I really cared about the characters. I was like, you have to write this book. And so I've been supporting him through it because there's, there's those special people you meet that you see a lot of the same either ambition or the same desire to help or serve that, that you feel. And I could see he really didn't, like he respected my time. He respected that I had a lot to do, but also really wanted to connect and wanted to make this happen. And through just a little bit of encouragement, he finished his book in about a month. And it's a very, it's a full length novel. And now I've been working to help him get connected with an editor so he can actually make this thing happen. So for everybody who's out there, that's like, Oh, I can't write a book the way it started for me. And if it's going to take too long or uh, how do I even begin? I had the realization one day, I was like, I can write a book. I was like, I, I, can, I can do it right now. And then my brain went, well, you don't know how to edit and you don't know how you're going to publish and you don't know how you're going to distribute. So you should just, and I was like, no, you're right, negative voices. Like another two weeks later, it's like, what's stopping you from writing a book right now? And I came back and said, well, about the editor. And then the other voice came back and said, no, 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 just writing it. What's stopping you from picking up your computer and writing it? And I was like, well, shit, I've got no excuses left. So... I, I was like, everyone imagines that I just picked up my computer, started furiously typing, still took another two weeks. I still, I was like, yeah, I'm going to do it tomorrow when I'm in a better mood or when I have more energy or I'm, I'm in the right mental state. And in reality, there is no right mental state for it either. And you write well, both in your good and bad moods, but you bring a different thing to the table. You bring a different emotion and it's more human. If you wrote everything from a positive place, it just feels like, you're on a dopamine hit from nonstop. And it's just like, all right, why are, not, why are the characters always smiling? Like there are bad things happening. Why is everyone happy and positive? So for everybody out there, it started with finally one night I was lying in bed and I said, I'm gonna write the first sentence. Cause I had been mentally writing it in my head every single day since the idea hit me that I could start. And I was lying in bed. I said, I'm gonna write the first sentence. And I was like, oh, I'm too tired. I'm busy. I have to get up early. And that was the excuse every night. And Finally, I wrote the first sentence and then I committed to writing literally one word, at least one word per day. And I did that for about two months and it sounds funny, but it's often starting is the hardest part. So there were one or two days where I literally just picked it up and wrote the and put it back down, I swear. But after that, the consistency fell off a little, but I kept going and I started to write for longer periods, you know. Uh, faced the, like I said, the biggest challenge that I ever faced. And I didn't write for a long time because of that, but eventually picked it back up because I knew it was something I needed to do and a message I wanted to share. There was a statistic at the conference that we were at that made me sad and happy at the same time. It was like 90% of the books in Barnes and Noble never sell more than a thousand copies. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I thought, oh shit. <laughs> That's so like, I think if they're on the, if they're at Barnes and Noble, then they've got to be selling more they've than I'm huge. selling. Yeah. I mean, 
I don't know what huge looks like. We all think of J.K. Rowling's, and that's like, I mean, that's a separate huge. But you think if they're in Barnes and Noble, they're selling a, more than I am on Amazon, right? Right. And finding that out made me sad because I thought, oh, well, that's not something to necessarily aspire to. But it also felt made me feel normal. Like, all right, hmm. you know, if 90% don't sell 1,000, we shouldn't be beating ourselves up if we're not selling huge amounts. And, you know, you don't, <laughs> I remember when I first realized how much you make on each sale and I just <laughs> was stunned, stunned. Like if it sells for 15, you'll make $2, mm -hmm. that sort of thing. And it's those things that when you start the process, you don't know, and it's good that you don't, cause you're just, that's not why you're doing it anyway. But when I realized that, I thought, cool. Okay. Well then, I'd have to sell like a million <laughs> to make a dent. And that's not happening at Barnes and Noble. So mm -hmm. I felt kind of okay. Well, it's important to recognize that again, if you're do like, if someone was just in it for money, then they hit that point. Then it was a waste of time. Then they go, well, Oh my God, I didn't realize how little I'd be making. And this brings up another important point. So uh, one of my mentors has said, find people who have gotten the results that you want and connect with them and connect with them and hire them as your mentors, work with them, do whatever you can to be around them because then you don't get blindsided by these things. You benefit from their experience, their time going through it. And it could be something to aspire to, to be in Barnes and Noble. And just because Barnes and Noble may be that way doesn't mean other physical distribution or physical locations aren't generating the sales. So maybe there are benefits that an experienced person could tell us about that being physically in stores can bring that other things wouldn't. So it's, it's just an important thing to, a lot of times with my coaching clients, what I'm working to show them in, and give them a realistic picture not a overly positive or overly negative, a realistic picture of what it's going to take because we all have big dreams and ideas and I believe we absolutely should pursue them. But the idea that it's going to be sunshine and rainbows all the time when we're pursuing those dreams, I want to squash that with my clients because I'm like, if you expect to only produce when you're feeling good and so you're waiting until you feel good all the time and then you're going to start your business because then you'll produce all the time and be at your highest level, You'll never fucking get anything done because it's if you wait for the emotional state to come, it's not going to come. And oftentimes you create the emotional state with the actions you take and the self-care like we talked about in pre-show that you bring to yourself. But even when you do all that, I have 16 daily commitments that are around self-care, growing my business, exercise, and I've hit them 24 days in a row now. And yeah, and it feels Yay! great. But- I still am not happy all the time. I still don't feel like, fuck yeah, let's go. Let's do it every day. And it's important to realize that even though I'm not in like a gung-ho, kick-ass mood all the time, I'm better than I would have been had I not done those things. I'm stronger than I would have been. I'm clearer than I would have been. There's times where I meditate and afterwards I feel like I just had like a full massage and I feel incredible. And there's times where I meditate and just was harping on all the negative stuff in my life and was trying to calm myself and clear my head and couldn't freaking do it. And so for all the listeners, it's important to realize that anyone who you see, especially in social media, who every picture is happy and everything is just crushing it. And they're making $20,000 a day sitting in their underwear, eating Cheetos and they have a six pack and you're looking at them and comparing yourself to them and feeling so negative. They're full of shit. 
the reason that I work with the mentors that I work with, the reason I love guys like Sean Stevenson, who, who that's where we met at Sean's conference, right. he constantly is humanizing himself to let us know that we're not alone in this, that yeah, we're pursuing big things, we're going for big dreams, but we're not, we don't need to feel good all the time. We don't always need to be positive. We, it's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to fuck up because we're all doing it. And when you're willing to let go of all the bullshit and all the masks and all the cover-ups about like, yeah, I'm crushing it all the time and everything's great and I'm super high energy, even before, in pre-show, for the listeners in pre-show, what I said was, oh, Jim was like, how you doing? I'm like, I'm frustrated about some stuff I shouldn't be frustrated about and it's a stupid little thing, but I'm pissed. And it's just a little thing. And I was like, but I'm glad to be doing this interview because this type of stuff is what I love to do and sharing these messages and being able to tell people they're not alone in their struggles, that we're all human, that the most, the picture the most perfect person you think in your mind that has it all quote unquote figured out and they have ups and downs and they have the negative voices and they have fear and they have addiction just like every one of us. And we're really quick to point out and be like, well, I'm not on heroin, so I'm way better. And it's like, but that doesn't make your addiction have any less control over your life. And for me, it's been all kinds of things. It's been porn, sex, it's been alcohol. It's to varying degrees in my life. And even if it wasn't bad by society standards, if it was holding me back from my greatest self, that's stuff that I need to face and I need to work on. And that's what I'm constantly working to do and get better at. You've talked about, first of all, being 27, and I know you're running your own business, you're working full time, you travel 50% of the year, the negative voices, one was that you were too young, you couldn't do everything while working, all of that stuff. So talk about getting through that a little. I know you said you have 16 self-care daily. Touch mm -hmm. on that a little bit, because you're right, the, the, we're not all Facebook Perfect. That's not, there's a great video about that. And I love it. You know, he takes the picture of himself like night out on the town, him with a vodka bottle and the, the camera pans back and he's alone in his car. You know what? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, we see these snapshots of beautiful positivity and mine aren't wrong. I mean, they're not, <laughs> they're not like that. They're not a lie, but they're a one snapshot. Right. Of, of a of a lot mm -hmm. and so yeah that one thing may be good when you feel like everything else is shit and we're we're just going by those snapshots but i know you do a lot first of all when we met when you and i met you walked in the room and you knew some people and you hugged them they're all guys mm -hmm. and i was like sweet a hugger <laughs> it's my people and mm -hmm. you turned around and i said hi and you turned around and you hugged me and i was like yes <laughs> Um, so that was that original draw, you know, uh -huh. that you walked in and you were positive. And I know that that is absolutely part of who you are, just like it is absolutely part of who I am. But in the moments that it's not, talk to me a little bit about how you overcame working full time and running a business is huge. Traveling 50% of the time on top of that and your age. I mean, life experience is still life experience, but mm -hmm. you did it all anyway. So touch a little bit more on that. Sure. What I think is interesting too is we're, we're really quick to look for the reasons why we can't. And there can be an idea of we justify and rationalize the excuses as if they're so logical, but the possibilities we treat as them just being ridiculous. It's like, oh, I want to start a business. All right, here, let's just use an even more. I'd love to get married. Oh, well, 50% of marriages end in divorce. So, you know, it's like, it's like, 
and I, it's if someone's positive about it or excited, people go like, oh, Mr. Positivity. But when you're negative, everybody wants to be your friend. It's like Sean talks about that if you really want to uh, make friends immediately, just complain about something. If you're around the wrong type of people, that'll attract everybody who's complaining and upset. So an interesting thing is I remember when I started with personal development that I was eventually going to get to a point where I was never upset or, or furious or I was always just perfectly balanced and I was calm and I would see the lesson immediately in everything and I'd be having incredible sex constantly that was both engaging and physically just unbelievable and I'd be in the best shape of my life and I'd be doing one-handed fingers, one-handed finger stand push-ups, handstand push-ups and the really interesting thing is as I've learned more about life and had more life experience that I've realized that that's not, that shouldn't be the goal. And that I don't think is real for human beings. And if it was, it sounds cliche, but just because it's a cliche doesn't mean it's untrue. It just means we've heard it a lot. Just if we never felt sad, then we wouldn't know what good felt like. And if it had been so far away, that distant feeling, that sad feeling that we're just like, oh, this is how it always is. Well, then we don't know how to face the challenges. We don't know how to face our demons. And I love the analogy of yin and yang because even in your lightest light, there's dark. And even in your darkest dark, there's light. And I've learned a ton about relationships and masculinity and femininity in the past two years, working with coaches, reading. And in my, in my relationships and dating and sex, it has totally reformed things because when you understand yourself better, you understand people better. So to get back to your original question, the self-care side, what do I do for myself to put myself in the best state I can be at? It's interesting because I faced more physical and emotional challenges in the past two and a half, three years than I ever did prior. So initially, and the biggest challenge that I've been alluding to is losing my mom to cancer. So that original diagnosis came at a time when I was at my peak. I was crushing it. Everything was going, Brian. I was running with my team Triumph. I was in the best shape of my life. I was gaining muscle and losing fat. I was just in unbelievable shape. I was running you know, 15, 20 miles a week prepping, and I'd never done that before. I was eating better. I was teaching myself to cook. I had established more of a friend group, and after feeling very lonely and isolated when I first moved out to Wisconsin, everything was on point. I had started my first blog. I was just like, everything was great. I was, I didn't feel angry about anything. Negative energy wasn't getting me down. I'd feel it and be like, Hey, that's their choice. That's their journey. No big deal. And I would just stay, I'd stay focused and I worked to bring people up, but I wouldn't try to fix them. It just felt like everything was on point. And then one day I get that call because mom hadn't been doing well for a while. And she said, Brian, I'll never forget it. She said, Brian, we have more information. It's cancer. And physically, emotionally, spiritually, in every way, it felt like I literally got derailed. I felt my body and my mind and everything just shift because my mom, my mom, my dad, my brother, are the most important people in my life. And my mom, I was, you know, I was even closer with my mom growing up because dad was, you know, the hard ass and mom was the loving, mom was base, mom was safe, you know? And so when that diagnosis came, I lost it in a way I never have. It was like my body didn't know how to express how sad it was physically because prior to that point, I had had this range of happiest to saddest and everything kind of fell in there. 
And I thought, oh, I knew the intensity of emotion I could feel in life because I had experienced this level of happiness and this level of sadness. And then all of a sudden, the sadness bracket just got punched through and driven a thousand yards in the other direction. And my body didn't know how to convey it. I was convulsing. I was shaking. I didn't even know where to begin. So I went through this. And one of the first lessons that I've learned, one of the most important lessons is allow yourself to feel what you need to feel especially as men. And here's a very important distinction there because so I wasn't afraid to cry and I was in touch with that feminine side. You know, my mom taught me a lot about emotional intelligence and for all the listeners who like a new concept for me is the idea that we all have masculinity and femininity inside of us that, you know, masculine being purpose and direction, that femininity being working towards the eternal flow of love. And it's from a David data book. And so understanding that, I, you know, I was able to cry. I, was, I would cry at things that never, I was more emotional than I'd ever been. And being in that state, I thought that I was dealing with my emotions. I thought I was coping with them. I thought I was letting them out. I went to therapy for the first time. I had my first panic attacks. I used to think like, oh, well, I have my workouts and good friends to talk to, so I'll never need therapy. That's for other people. I'll never need these professional help. I'll never need medication, any of these things. And all of a sudden, I was facing all of that. All of a sudden, I had been introduced to a reality that was so intense that I wasn't even, I felt like on the inside, there were days that I was close to this edge. And I was so close to just falling over this edge. And I felt like if I fell over that edge, I would fall apart. I would lose myself. That when I had the panic attack, it was that feeling of I'm right there and I'm teetering. And if one little thing pushes me over, I may never come back. It felt like I knew that wasn't true, but in the moment, that's really what it felt like. So when I first talked to Sean and I had my first conversation with him after him being a hero of mine for years, and now he's a great friend and I've signed up to work with him for years, my coach. So it's, it's amazing how much has changed in three years, but at the time, he said, Brian, do you think anger is a weakness? And I was like, no, no, of course not. But then when I actually stopped and thought about it, I realized that I had been, I told myself that if I have all the right self-care and all the journaling and meditation, that I'll never need to get angry. I'll never need to be upset. And I had told myself that anger was a weakness. And he said, Brian, he goes, and I was like, no, but Sean, I've been crying. I've been getting my emotions out. He goes, all right, Brian, crying gets out sadness. To get out anger, you need to destroy something. He goes, what most people do is that they destroy themselves or they destroy others. What we need to find is ways for you to release that in a healthy way. If that's like punching a pillow, punching a heavy bag, or even he said, literally go to Pottery Barn, buy a bunch of pots, buy a bat, go in the woods and destroy them. It's like to let this visceral human emotion out and it took my second coach actually to help me bring up all this repressed anger I'd been holding back for years. Because when my mom got sick and when she ultimately passed away, I said, I'm not mad. You know, I'm like, God has a plan and everything happens for a reason. I'm not mad. I'm just, I'm just sad. And finally, when I was willing to be honest with myself about what I was really thinking and feeling, I was like, I'm fucking furious. Who the hell does he think he is taking the best person on the planet out? At, like, how the fuck could he? Like, and then that was the realness coming out. When I finally let it go, my coach helped me through that process. I was angry every day, all day for three weeks. That's how much I had repressed it. Every day, all day, 24 hours a day, miserable, angry, and furious at anything and everyone. I wanted someone to start a fight with me. It was just so much that I bottled up. 
And so what I realized is I need to have processes to let these things out consistently. Otherwise they're going to build up. I deliberately have to go back to the most painful days of my mom's battle with cancer, the worst, most horrific days of my life so that those emotions don't own me. I need to be able to go back to it because the second we say, I can't face that because it's too scary. We're saying that thing has power over us. And we're saying that that thing has the ability to destroy us in some way, mentally, physically, emotionally. Now for all the listeners, I'm not saying you have to deal with everything all at once. That's one of the worst types of approaches. Like, all right, I'm going to tackle every major struggle I've ever faced. That's like, all right, I'm going to fight a gorilla, a bear, and I'm going to piss them both off first. It's like, it's, it's a lot to take on. So self-care rituals and what I'm doing now, and this is after six years of personal development. I'll say first it started with just physical activity. I was an athlete growing up. Physical activity was always a good thing. Even on the days where I was unhealthy or not like, you know, maybe a little bit sick and I wasn't sure if I should go to the gym or not. My mom would say to me, Brian, I've never heard you come back from work and say, I wish I hadn't done that. And I was like, you're right. So that's always been a part of it. More recently, some of the, so meditation has been uh, on and off over the years and, to, and it's growing more and more consistent. Now it's every single day. Um, for anybody who is super type A and is trying to like constantly do a billion things at once and it goes like, well, I don't have time for that. I don't have time to slow down and be present. It's like, I got a billion things to do. That's when you need it most. Um, being able to, the power of meditation for me is not about silencing or totally blanking out your mind because your mind's job is to keep you alive and be constantly analyzing. So it can never truly be empty. Even when you're thinking about emptiness, you're thinking about something. It's about your ability to focus on one thing for a given period of time, whether that's your energy, your health, your breathing, it's demonstrating to yourself that you can shift and control your focus for whatever moment you need so that when you're able to meditate and do that, when you're at work, you're able to focus more on one thing. When you're with your family or on a date, you're able to connect and be with that person more. And I've even found benefit in kind of the opposite of meditation, something I'm doing now. So being still with no stimuli, but letting all of the thoughts come instead of you know, deep controlled breathing and trying to like focus on one thing. I let everything come up because my dad said, it's almost like you're trying to tire your brain out. If you ever seen like a little kid or a nephew who's just bouncing off the walls and you're like, all right, let's like take him to the park. Let him just run around four hours. And then boom, he goes down. <laughs> it's like same thing with the mind. It's like, let the thoughts come. You also show yourself they're not that scary. They're not that intense. You let them come up. And it's like when you're a little kid lying in your bed and you're convinced there's a monster in the, in the closet. And then finally you shine the flashlight on it and it's just a sweatshirt draped over a chair. So meditation, stillness, important practices, I think for everyone. Journaling is really powerful because when you write things down on paper, one, it gets it out of your head. So it's almost like you're having a conversation with you. But two, when you see it on paper, when you're being really hard on yourself and you're like, wow, dude, I really, I need to take a step back. I'm kind of drilling myself here. And you can also celebrate things more because when you write down all these things, if you feel like you've had a really shitty couple of weeks and you go back and you look, you're like, there's actually been a lot of great things that have happened in this time. So it's a great kind of play by play of your life and the experiences you're having. So outside of that, um, I've been working on breathing exercises. I've been working on, like I said, so breaking some of my bad addictions. So waking up early, not snoozing the alarm. Um, one thing that I realized was not serving my relationships was watching porn. And so I said, I'm cutting porn out. And so I literally have a 
daily commitment, no porn. I check that box every day. Uh, recently, I cut out alcohol and soda because I realized I was using alcohol as a way to keep myself from my fear of failure and my fear of success and to keep me from my health and fitness goals. And I said, fuck it. I'm done with that. Not forever. I don't think it's forever. And it doesn't need to be forever. It only needs to be to the point where it doesn't control me, where I know I run the show. And when I say I'm going to have one drink, I have one drink. And one of my favorite daily commitments and one of the hardest and one of the ones that makes people squirm the most is ice cold showers every morning. And here's why is because my second coach, uh, Simon Smart said, you know, yeah, there's a bunch of health benefits. It's good for circulation. It's good for testosterone production and all that, but it's not about that. When you step into an ice cold shower first thing in the morning, there is nothing that you want to do less than step in butt naked to freezing ice cold water as cold as it will go. But he goes, but what you're doing when you step into that shower is you're telling the negative voices in your head to fuck off, that they do not run the show, that they will not make the decisions today, that you make the decisions. So it's an empowering win to start your day and also a very conscious mental shift to say, those voices are there. They're always going to be there but they don't have a seat at the table. They don't get to make the decisions. They don't tell me how to live my life. They don't tell me how to live my relationships. So I am going to take those steps today. So for anybody who really wants to step it up in their, their uh, self-care game, start with that. It's such, even just one day, you'll feel fucking amazing. You're gonna come out of the shower like, I can do anything. So um, now I'm working to level it up more because it's getting easier. Still not easy, easier though, because I do it every single day. And like I said, right now I'm on 24 days straight and I don't plan on stopping. So those are a bunch of examples of the self-care that I do, that I've done. And we get all kinds of excuses. We say, I'm traveling, I'm working, I'm this, I'm that. I've traveled, uh, my first year in this job, I tra traveled 250 days out of the year. I travel globally. I've been to 17 different countries. I'll generally spend anywhere from three weeks to a month. Uh, in another country and I've had surgery in another country. I've been to the hospital in another country. I've been sick. So especially when you're traveling, that self-care can fall off, but it, that's when it's even more important is when you have more chaos. And for anybody who's like, well, I don't have time. I have people to take care of. I'll ask you this. When are you at a better state to care for people? When you're happy, energetic, and your cup is full or when you're totally drained, angry, stressed, and blaming them and playing the martyr? Because we do that a lot too. Like, I'm so good and caring, but then we give people shit for giving our care. It's like, take care of yourself first so you can take care of other people. My kids, every once in a while, and I'm not being a bitch or a terrible parent ever. I'm not hitting them, <laughs> screaming, you know. But they'll say, hey, mom, why don't you go for a run? Because they've learned their whole life growing up that I may be good as I am, but I can be better when I'm focusing a little bit of time on myself. And that we tend to neglect that. And yep. self-care isn't a Mother's Day coupon book. Right, right. So, I mean, you travel like, we can't understand each other's lives to a certain degree. Because I cannot imagine traveling that much. And you cannot imagine having 13 kids. So sure, I can. Out. That's easy. That's cake. You just buy some Eggo waffles and you let them go. That's pretty much it, right? That's exactly what I do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I do buy Eggo waffles. So, um, See, but, you know, I'm already there. That's <laughs> you're hired. You can move in whenever you want. <laughs> but the thing is, is that we all have some big, massive excuse. We yep. all do. It's just mine may be different than yours, but we all have it. 
So you have to put the oxygen mask on yourself before you help someone else. There's no ifs, ands, and buts. I'm going to shift gears just a little bit and ask you out of my own curiosity. You have the podcast. Mm -hmm. You have um, the book. I'm looking through your website. I'm stalking you while I'm talking to you. <laughs> you do you still have a blog? Yeah. So the uh, the website the the blog is not the primary driver. It's mainly a way to house the podcast, uh, my products, and my coaching program. So it's right now overcoming graduation. It started as a podcast, then it evolved into doing affiliate sales through the podcast. Then I started developing my coaching program. And then I ultimately, the book was the first true product, but now I have a program to help people learn a new Latin-based language in 90 days or less. And that's one of, uh, that's my first true information product that I've really brought in. So that's where the business is at now. And I'm really working to grow my coaching program at this point. And that's what I was going to ask you is the language in 90 days and how that fit in. So what other languages do you speak? I know you speak English. That's been clear. Mm -hmm. So, so what, what else? Fluent in Spanish and Portuguese, and I can read, speak, and write them. And Spanish, I learned the more traditional route, through, so through school and then a study abroad in Spain. And then when I got to Wisconsin, uh, people said, I said, I want to learn another language because language had transformed my life. And everything about it, like being able to hear about somebody's culture in their own language is a totally different experience than them explaining it or telling the story in their second or third language. And I was able to date, I was able to connect with my host family, I was able to order food and meet people. And what's really interesting is people don't think about this aspect. They think, oh, if I learn Spanish, then I can speak with any Spanish speaker. But there were people who were Germans who didn't speak English, but they spoke Spanish. So I was able to connect with even more people. And so I said, I want to learn more languages and people kind of laughed or like, yeah, it'll take 10 years. You can only learn after you're 14 or you can only learn up to your 14. Some bullshit statistic that talks about your ability to retain and be more of a sponge is better before a certain point. But that's like anything else. It's like if you find a way, the big thing for me is if the method that you're using doesn't work, that doesn't mean you can't do it. It means you have to find the method that works for you. So over a seven month period, I started reading about rapid language acquisition. I started studying polyglots who are people who speak multiple languages. And generally when people say polyglot, they mean someone who's like seven or nine fluent languages. It, technically, I think it means if you have three or more, but the, really we're talking about the super, super extreme spectrum. I started studying them. I started learning about memory retention, about creating hooks, about how our brain actually forms memories. And why people generally don't succeed in language and what are the barriers and how to use Pareto analysis to get the most bang for your buck in the shortest amount of time. So over the course of seven months, I went from speaking no Portuguese at all to having two hour conversations entirely in Portuguese while living in Appleton, Wisconsin, which is one of the least diverse places I've ever been. So a lot of people think, because this ultimately turned into an opportunity for me to live in Brazil and it never would have happened this way if I hadn't and this also helped me get my next job. So if I hadn't taken this time to just pursue something, and one of my favorite quotes is by Elizabeth Gilbert. And she says, don't follow your passion, follow your curiosity. And so what's really interesting is that especially young adults are told, follow your passion, find your passion. What's your passion? What do you want to do the rest of your life? And it's the most daunting question. People see it and hear it and go, I have no idea. What's one thing I want to do the rest of my life? There's like a billion things I want to do. Where do I begin? 
And any successful person I met has not done that. They haven't identified this one, I want to be this type of speaker in this industry doing this thing. All they've said is, I want to start here. And they recognized the first step to take. And then they took it and then they learned more and they saw more opportunities and they learned that they really liked this aspect and they didn't like that one so much. So they started going that direction and sometimes they make a mistake. But when you follow your curiosity, every day becomes just a big experiment. You can try things. You can experiment with speaking a new way. You can try a new expression. You can go to a new place. You can try a crazy tea you've never tried. It's like there's all types of opportunity that exists when we're pursuing our curiosity. And so I got to connect with people, uh, native speakers in Brazil. And I was talking, with, I even got to uh, practice a lot with a Brazilian model. So I was very encouraged to get up on Skype and have some conversations. And it has been one of the greatest things in my life. And actually at this point, I think Portuguese is even a little stronger than Spanish because the language, you know, the more that you use it, it can supersede the other. And I was just back in Brazil a couple of weeks ago and people were like, dude, you're speaking even better than when you were here. And I haven't been back in about a year and a half. And I was like, sometimes you need to step away from things too. And what's really funny is one of my teachers when we were in Spain said, if you're, she's like, if you're nervous about giving a presentation, I wouldn't necessarily recommend this, but there's a, there's a lesson here. She's like, take like two shots before you go on in, because if you relax and you're not so worried about saying every little word, right. And making every conjugation, you'll speak better. And generally in all things, I would say in most things, when we relax and just lean in versus trying to be perfect, we do so much better. Because this, I, I love the quote of shoot for perfection knowing you'll never achieve it. Because I, I think there's just such a, and I get caught up in this all the time, of trying to do it all right and get everything on to-do list done. And my business should be here and I should be there and it should all be going right. And then when one little thing falls off that I get so hard on myself, when in reality, if I say, hey man, things are going to go wrong, people are going to cancel plans, shit will happen. It's not about what happens, it's how I respond. And the more I remember that and live by that, the better. And I definitely don't always do that, that's for fucking sure. But the more that I work towards that, the better I do. So when it comes to language, there are do you want me to go into some of the specifics about how and why people can learn more or do you want to shift to something else here? If you can do a quick overview, because I, I think that this should be something people are very passionate about. Because like you said, learning a language, it's like writing a book. You hear people constantly, I'm looking at your website, you hear people constantly like, oh, I wish I could learn a language. I'm guilty of saying that exact statement. And you're mm -hmm. saying you totally can and you can do it quickly. Yep. Here's how. Just give a little, this is something that you offer and I love it. Mm -hmm. So give me a little synopsis and then we can move on. Sure. So for anybody who's interested, overcominggraduation.com slash language, that's where the free giveaway is. So I have a giveaway that explains exactly the steps I took. And if you follow this and commit to do it, like I said, three to four times a week, 30 minutes a day, that's it. It doesn't take a lot when you do it right. A lot of people say, I, I made it for the people who said I didn't do well in school. I could never pick it up. I don't have an ear for it. That's who I made it for because it's all bullshit excuses that we're using to not live the way that we really want to. So using Spanish as an example, because most people want to learn Spanish that are based in the U.S. and it's one of the most common second languages that people are picking up. Um, the way they teach you in school. Now, first thing it's like uh, Stephen Covey talks about, begin with the end in mind. When they teach you in school, the way they're teaching is basically if you want to become a translator and a translator needs to know 
everything about a language. Tim Ferriss talks about this and says it takes like 10 years of dedicated study to get to that level where you can translate on a, excuse me, on a dime, every little thing and every word and, you know, every colloquial expression and your conjugations are perfect. You don't need to be anywhere near that in order to have a fun, engaging, romantic, beautiful, loving conversation. All you need to do is be able to communicate. So if the goal is to be able to connect and share, this is who I built this program for. So good example. Most people will try and learn all 14 Spanish conjugations. So every verb can be conjugated 14 different ways. Literally in school, I remember teachers saying, you will never use this, but we're going to learn it. So the next, the first thing about Pareto analysis, what's the 20% of things you can do that will get you 80% of your results. If you focus on three conjugations, you can be at what most people would call fluent. I'm fluent in Spanish and Portuguese and I can rattle off and just have full conversations. And all, like I've had two hour conversations with consultants and legal people talking about things that I had never discussed before in Brazil all through doing this. So I use three tenses, past, present, and imperfect. 95% of your conversations are going to fall into those three. And if you can focus on those three and learn them, if you think about it, when you talk to someone who's not speaking English as their native language, other than those three, you'll correct and you'll help and you'll guide. If they say like, I want to go to mall today. You're like, oh, I want to go to the mall. It's, it happens live. The second thing is if you want to speak, get to speaking as quickly as possible. And I detail this out in the program a lot, but we're so afraid and people like don't want to sound dumb. But if you think about it, the people that you hear speaking English as a second language, you don't, you don't go like, oh, ha, you're messing up so bad. That's so wrong. You're like, wait, okay, what were you saying? Oh, you meant this? Oh, actually you say it this way. Another piece, people think, oh, I don't know every word. Therefore, I'm not fluent. First off, you don't know every word in English. Secondly, out of all the words you do know in English, you probably use maybe 10% all the time. The rest are situational based, but there's this core group of words that you're using the most frequently. And this is a concept Tim Ferriss recommends is look up the thousand most frequently used words and the thousand frequently most used verbs and make flashcards. I never did that because I don't really like flashcards. But if you understand and start practicing with native speakers, you get live feedback, you get to start connecting with a person immediately. And then using Google Translate, you can have full conversations. Now, not everything is going to translate perfectly. But if you find someone who has enough understanding of English that they can kind of help you along, all of a sudden the repetition comes very naturally when you're having the conversations. And you say, okay, this is how you say, um, how are you today? This is how you say, how do you say that? This is how you say this. Then those phrases become part of the repertoire and then you can start building on it yourself. And another piece, if you think about verbs, there are core verbs that we use all the time, to have, to want, to like, to need, to eat, to walk. If you learn some of those core verbs and learn those three conjugations for them, again, you'll cover 85, 95% of the conversations that you'll ever have. And you'll be able to get to understanding with most people. And one final piece is people get so worked up about like, oh, I'm learning a language. Oh, that person's speaking Spanish. Let me go try and speak Spanish. And then the person gives you like the most horrifying look when you're learning a language of like, what the fuck are you talking about? And you go, oh my God, I'm terrible. I don't know how to speak. I, I blew it. I should just never try again. It's, it's like dating. It's like, oh, hi, how are you? Oh, no, thank you. Oh my God, girls don't like me. I should just go be a monk and, and just be celibate. <laughs> the reality is sometimes people just don't recognize your accent. Sometimes 
They might, they, a person could literally be deaf. Sometimes there's so many different reasons it could be. And sometimes they've just never heard the word pronounced that way before. It's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just a language or a, a pronunciation thing. So don't be so worried about that. Focus more on the people who do click and who you do connect with. Cause there's, I, there are still, I'm fluent. I've been fluent for years in these two languages. There's still times where people look at me totally confused and I still get that pang of feeling. But the more you push through that, the more you'll work towards those incredible moments of dancing samba with a girl on a rooftop in Brazil or being at the beach with your friends in Spain and just having conversations about life in Spanish and meeting people and connecting all over the world. It's, language is one of the things I'm most passionate about because like you said, so many people want to do it. And I want to show them that not only is it possible, it's so much closer than you think if you're willing to put in the work. But that's what it comes down to is you've got to do the work and you got to do it consistently. Kind of like with most things. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I know losing your mom was the single most difficult thing. I want to, I want to touch on a couple things. You can do this in any order in any way. Mm -hmm. I want you to talk about old stories that define you. Mm -hmm. The why isn't enough and kind of getting through that anxiety and stuff that you felt that was so overwhelming initially and you went through the anger and some of it, but it never goes away. We're not a one and done. There's right. not a destination to figuring shit out. It's a journey to figuring shit out. So it's not like you lose your mom and tomorrow you wake up and you're like, yeah, totally over it. No big deal. Don't even miss mm -hmm. her anymore. It's never mm -hmm. going to be like that. So what's the, what's the continuity in getting through that? I know those are three totally separate things probably, but not always. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's all connected and it's all separate. It's like, which makes no sense. But really, when you think about it, everything that we do is integrated, everything that touches people go like, Oh, I don't like to mix work in my personal life. Bullshit. Like your, your personal life absolutely affects the way you do your work and how happy and how connected you are. So uh, for me, the idea, let's start with identity, because that that is a big piece of this. Um, we're very, it's very interesting how quick we are to decide and define ourselves as one thing. And here's what we are and here's what we're not. And we almost get mad when people tell us things, even if it's positive, like, sure, you could, if you define yourself as being overweight, if you define yourself as being um, unable to find love, if you define yourself as a person who just can't seem to find honest people, What's really interesting about our identity is when we tie ourselves to something and we decide that this is who we are, our subconscious looks for proof and results in our world to confirm that. Because very often we'd rather be right more than we want to be happy. So even if it's a negative reality, even if it's something painful, I, I hear this a lot in relationships and specifically my female friends will say there's no good guys out there. There's just no good guys and you can't find anyone good. And there's no way to just find somebody to really be honest and connect. They all cheat, blah, 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 blah. It's like, if you continue to say that, you're going to look for proof and you're also going to introduce and date people that are going to prove you right. So the same thing is true of our identity. That's just an example of how this can, how this can play into our day to day with our identity. If I decide I'm a fat guy and that's all I am and that's all I'm worth, even when I get on a diet, even when I see results, even when I've stuck to my plan for 90 days consistently, if my identity is still tied to that old story, I will eventually self-sabotage. I will eventually do something to pull myself back. And I do it all the time. There's all 
kinds of things that come from me where I'm like, oh, this is who I am. I'm not a morning person, for example. So the whole idea of these identities that we tie to, something we learned at that conference we were both at is that when you have pain and when you have fear, you need to lean in and you need to go there because that's where the work is to do. So a lot of these things about like, oh, I can't have friends and be social without alcohol. I can't be a morning person. These were all stories I was tying to my identity and right now I'm working to crush. So not being a morning person is something I've struggled with for my whole life. I was always the guy who woke up late, was always late to things, made big plans for the day and then never followed through because I'd wake up late and then make excuses about why I couldn't be the person I've always wanted to be. So it took a level of commitment. It took some systems. It took some structure. It took working with coaches. It took a lot of different steps to finally arrive at this point where I'm getting up the second my alarm goes off every morning, no matter what, even when I'm getting up at 5 a.m., when I have a 7 a.m. call with Hong Kong and I need to get my workout in and my breathing and my ice cold shower and my dry brushing before, that's where the commitment is leveling up. And it took me taking that leap and investing in Sean's event because here's the really interesting thing is that many times the reason we don't invest in ourselves and the reason that we don't work for these bigger things is we don't believe we're worth it. We don't believe we're enough. We don't believe that we deserve an incredible relationship with incredible sex and incredible support and amazing friends. And so we find reasons to prove to ourselves why we're not good enough. And then when we get close to that next level and breaking through that barrier, that upper barrier, we self-sabotage, pull ourselves back and say, see, I told you, that's who you are. You're not this bigger person. And we got the train coming by. So if you hear a horn in the background, that's just uh, my lovely trains that come by me frequently. So, um, but when it comes to establishing our identity and that voice that says, see, I told you, that's who you are. And us wanting to be right more than we want to be happy there are so many times in our lives where we will see a situation that we want to change, but your brain is trying to keep you safe and your brain thinks habit and what it knows is safe. So even if you don't like it, it's going to work towards keeping you quote unquote safe by keeping you in what you know, even if what you know sucks, even if you're in a shitty relationship, a shitty job, a, sh a shitty place for you. When you start to say, maybe I could do something different, your brain goes, no, 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 but that's dangerous. That's different. That's outside what we know. Let's stay where we're comfortable. Let's stay where it's safe. But the more you push past that initial fear, just like shining the light on the closet to see that it was just a sweatshirt, all of a sudden you see that your fears were nothing and that there's so much better realities and, and a good night's sleep is on the other side of that. But when it comes to life, the more that I push through my bullshit stories and the more that I continue to disprove the deeply ingrained ideas of identity that I have, I realize that at any moment we can decide to shift these things. At any moment we can step into a better version of ourselves. And it doesn't mean we're going to do it every day. It doesn't mean every day is going to be bubbly and fantastic. And even when I'm on this journey and I'm hitting 24 days straight, I'm still frustrated. I still have ups and downs. I've also had some of the best experiences and had more happening faster because I'm willing to commit more than I ever have from three years of working with coaches, going to all of Sean Stevenson's events, investing hours and hours and hours and tons of money into this because I'm finally saying to myself in bigger and bigger ways, I'm worth this, I deserve this, and I believe in me enough that I'm willing to take these shots. Tell me about the why isn't enough because most coaching that we do, or a lot of it, at least in part, they're telling you, you need to find your why. You need to find your avatar. You need to, you know, and 
you've made the comment that the why isn't enough. So explain that briefly. Yeah, the it's an interesting idea. And it's funny that you say avatar because I just redid my customer avatar and I have it literally hanging over my computer and the guy and the girl and the picture and the name I selected. And I remember thinking if I did all these activities that you read about in the marketing books and you define your avatar and you have this person so clearly identified that you want to help and you want to serve, you want to do whatever you can to be there for them, that that will help you spring out of bed, that every day is going to have purpose and meaning because you are so clear on what you're doing and why and who you're working towards. Now, what I found and working with and interviewing incredibly successful people is the why isn't always enough. When you have a really strong why, it is very powerful. It is extremely powerful, but that doesn't mean it's always going to help you get out of bed or take the difficult action. That's part of why it's difficult action. If it was easy to find just one why and that just governs and dictates everything and all your energy is positive, everybody would do it. When I was running with my team Triumph, there were a lot of days I did not want to get up and run. I knew I had a 10-mile run and I, it was going to take a long time and I, I knew I was going to be chafing and sore after, but I knew I was helping this little girl, Jessica, make a dream come true that otherwise she wouldn't be able to, that I had made a commitment to push her through this race and if I wasn't there, that she wouldn't be able to do it. And so on those days, I said, I have a why that's a lot stronger than my bullshit and my excuses. And my current coach says, we always have a reason, but whatever action we're taking, that's the stronger reason. So if you want to eat healthy and you are, then your reason for doing so is stronger. If you want to eat healthy and you're not, your reason for not doing so is stronger. So finding a better reason and why is very important, but it also takes other things to be able to set yourself up to succeed, even when the energy isn't there, when the momentum isn't there, when the strength isn't there. And with my business, for example, it's taken me leveling up my commitments in order for my why to get stronger. Because in the past, if I was just doing podcasts and I was inconsistent posting, ah, well, you know, I mean, hey, they want to see the new episode. I want to get it out. But if I'm tired, I'm out of it. I don't really feel like it. I really want to help and serve people. But I just don't feel like it today. My why wasn't that strong. And it's gotten stronger over time, especially with coaching, because I've gotten so much value from coaching. That's what helped me pick myself up after my mom passing away and take control of my health and take control of my health while traveling and start a business and publish the book and have it go to the bestseller. And it was only through investing in myself that that was able to happen. But my coach told me that if you only rely on self-discipline, sometimes that's not enough. And if we only rely on systems and structures, that won't always be enough. So you need to have a combination of both. Discipline takes the hard work. And like Sean says, uh, courage is sexy or confidence is sexy. Courage is messy. And for every act of courage we take, we build up our confidence more. So it takes courage to face up to our identity and say, that's not who I am. I am this greater version of me. It takes courage to do the things that we don't believe we can do, to let go of old friendships and unhealthy relationships, to let go of the things that don't serve us and step into the greater versions of, of ourselves. So when it comes to the why, we often think it's about something external. And I think it's great to have external motivation and people you're serving because I know when I commit something to my clients that in order for me to operate in integrity as a coach, I have to live up to that. And if I don't, I have to be 100% honest about it with them but I don't want to get to that conversation. So I work to do everything that I say for my clients as much as possible. So if you want to have a greater why, 
Stop trying to think about a why that's better and start taking action and start introducing yourself to people that actually do need your help. Because as great as it is to define an avatar and put a random picture on the wall, it is much better to have that little girl out there who you've made the commitment to, who needs you to be at your greatest self to help her. And that is what helps you get out of bed. So the why becomes a lot stronger when you tie it to real action and real people, not just sitting and brainstorming. Brainstorming, it can be good, but it gets so much stronger when it is paired with action and paired with your own personal growth and development journey. You implemented coaches before or after your mom passed away? So I'll, uh, I'll answer it technically after, but one uh, interview I did on my podcast with, with a guy called Doug Stewart, and he talks about the it's four and a half or five and a half types of mentors that will change your life. And so I didn't have an official coach where I worked with somebody one-on-one in coaching until after my mom passed away and I actually met him at my first Sean Stevenson event. His name's Peter Scott, the fourth. Um, but for anyone out there who's like, well, I can't afford coaching. You can surround yourself with incredible mentors to an extreme extent through books, through YouTube, through podcasts, through audio books. There are ways to connect with these people to start now and start to implement the lessons and then start to generate the changes so that you can generate the wealth to work with people at a higher level. And that's what I've continued to do. So coaching, the officially like diving in and making the biggest investment in my life at that point, more than half the money in my bank account invested into coaching was the greatest first step I had ever taken in my personal development because I realized how much I could shrink the learning curve and condense the time it took to get results by working with the right people who had already achieved what I was working to achieve. And that was part of the seed being planted in the right people ahead of time and then continuing with the coaching, which is one of the biggest forms of self-care. And I don't care if you are a coach, you still need a coach. I love having a coach. So Mm -hmm. That let's, I want to wrap up on tools that you use and you've talked about a ton of them, but kind of a final piece of advice because you had a family that was fantastic and lost Mm -hmm. it, uh, or lost your mom, part of it and uh, a huge part of it. Tell me moving forward, what would you, what advice would you give? Even if the struggle isn't the same, some of the skills can be. Hmm. So what specific skills would I recommend to people to help them through their difficult struggles, essentially? Essentially, yeah. I want mm-hmm. to kind of end on that note. Sure. And I'll, I'll focus it down to one thing because we, we could talk about, I could give you a thousand different things to try and that it, it's not a one size fits all answer. So I'll give something that can help anyone because I'll I'll narrow it to two things. So one, constantly try new things and experiment with new ways of caring for yourself. Everything you hear about, because there have been a lot of things I've tried. I've tried emotional freedom technique. I've tried hypnosis. I've tried tapping. I've tried uh, massage. I've tried all of these different things to see like what really helps and what clicks with me. And a lot of things have really surprised me. Other things I found that didn't really click and didn't do it for me. And I was like, okay, that's not for me. So what is the right thing for me? So one, constantly experiment and try. And then two, this is the most critical thing. Pick one thing 
in a couple, in each area of your life. So if you think about business or work, you think about health, you think about relationships and you think about health, wealth, relationships, and spirituality, those four areas. If you pick one thing in each of those areas and then pick one thing per month to work on and focus on for the next four months. So those four areas, four things. And so maybe that first month is you want to focus on your hydration. When I started working with my current coach, who's health and fitness, the first two weeks we focused on uh, breathing and hydration. I lost four pounds just by breathing better and hydrating better. And I didn't even think that was possible. So maybe you want to hydrate better. Maybe you want to get to the gym a couple times a week. Maybe you want to have 30 minutes of activity every day, physical activity, which is what I do currently. Set that one goal and start to restructure and reshape your habits around that. Because if you try to do it all at once and you try to do it like, oh, I want to be in the gym two hours a day every day, that gives you more opportunity for your excuses and your negative voices to pull you back. What I like to do is set minimums and set commitments that might seem so small and ridiculous, like, oh, that's not even going to make a difference. So 20 minutes a day, let's say you want to write a book, 20 minutes a day towards my book, guaranteed you can make that time 100%. I don't care who you are. And if you take that time, 20 minutes a day, all of a sudden in a week, that adds up. And often, like we said, starting is the hardest part. So you get going, you get in a good zone, and all of a sudden you've written for two hours and you don't even know where the time went. So first thing, be curious and continue to experiment and try and explore and meet new people and touch new things and do those things that you've always said you wanted to do. The second piece is identify one thing that you want to work on and have a tracker. Put up a board. Tim Ferriss says, if you want to uh, really stick to a habit, create negative consequences. For example, if you want to lose weight, take a picture of yourself at, you know, with your shirt off or for the ladies in a sports bra and everything. and Tell your most ruthless friend that if you don't hit your weight loss goal in 30 days, that they have to post that picture on social media. Tell yourself that if you don't hit this goal and tell a friend and you have to check in with them daily, that if I don't do this every day and check in with you and say that I did this, that I have to do a 10 minute ice bath. Start being creative and creating fun ways to do this, but focus on one thing at a time, set a very small commitment, take action on that and start to see how your life drastically changes. Because the only way I've gotten to the point with 16 daily commitments and that I'm hitting every day and that I'm growing a business and traveling, I'm getting ready to leave for a three week trip to Cambodia. I'm still going to be working with my coaching clients. I still am going to be publishing podcasts. Only way I've gotten there is by steps and sequential steps over the years, making lots of mistakes, trying tons of different things and being willing to fail fast and iterate over and over so that I can get to the result that works best for me and continue to shape this reality and continue to learn and grow through the whole process. Because my dad always says he believes that one of the greatest compliments you can give to someone is that they are eternally curious. So I work to embody that as much as I can every day. And some days I do great. Some days I do awful but the trend is always going up and that's the most important key. That is amazing. And I want to thank you for spending your time with us today and sharing all of your insight. It's been amazing. Thank you, Jen. This has been super fun and this is just what I needed. So this was, this was great and I really appreciate you having me on. Thank you so much for listening in to Jen Taylor Rerouting. Like, share, and of course, comment. I welcome input with attitude. Get a copy of my book on Amazon. Hello, my name is Warrior Princess. Or check out my website, jentaylor.net. And if you still want more, sign up for one of my coaching packages.